April Morrison, doctor of physical therapy, accidental entrepreneur, and lifelong learner. You're tuned in to the Idaho Physio Podcast, where we talk about things, health, wellness, and high performance in all areas of life. The big goal here is to talk to high achievers and those that surround themselves with the top performers in their fields to get some insights, tips, and inspiration that we can all use in our daily lives. The title may say Idaho, but the content reaches far beyond our borders and is relevant for everyone, regardless of where you find yourself. As always, the content you are about to hear does not replace the medical advice of your doctor, so please seek professional opinions should you need them. Now kick back, relax, and enjoy the episode. We are glad you're here. Hey, this is April Morrison. We are back with the Idaho Physio. Thanks for joining us again for another episode. Uh, We hope you are enjoying our podcast about health, wellness, and high performance and high achievers. And um, we hope that if you are receiving any good feedback or if you're kind of picking up some good knowledge from us that you subscribe and like and share our podcast so we can continue to do this and meet some more amazing individuals. And speaking of amazing individuals, we have Rob Gorman with us today, which I am so excited to speak to. Um, Rob is currently the Director of Process Improvement and Change Management at the Puget Sound Naval Shipyard and Intermediate Maintenance Facility. Hopefully I got that. That's a mouthful. (laughs) That mouthful up. Um, Just a quick little background on Rob and hopefully you'll you know, expand a little bit more on this. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Uh, Rob enlisted into the Navy and uh, trained as a nuclear um, machines mate, and then uh, took an amazing hurdle and a pivot in life and was selected to go to be commissioned, which was is pretty impressive for uh, those of us military veterans and even active duty. We know that that is not a easy thing to do. Um, so he was commissioned through a commissioning program into the Navy and became, became a submarine warfare officer and then retired, <clears throat> excuse me, after 22 years, which is amazing. Um, he was a lieutenant commander when he retired, which is awesome. And apparently the Navy, he just couldn't get it out of his system because he kept on going and is, like I said, now that um, director over there at Puget Sound. So we are so happy to have you here, Rob, and hopefully you can kind of expand a little bit about what I just introduced. Well, thank you, April. It's it's exciting to uh, talk about leadership, talk about some of the things that you've mentioned that we might cover tonight. Um, by way of perspective, I think it important to know that I enlisted in the Navy after I had been at Texas A&M University for three semesters amassing a 1.8 GPA and was invited not to return. (laughs) Um, I I didn't have what I needed to finish. Um, It was engineering I was pursuing then, but I didn't have what I needed as far as maturity goes. Uh, But I got that quickly. Uh, The Navy program that you mentioned that I was invited to participate in was called the Nuclear Enlisted Commissioning Program where There were five colleges across the United States that agreed to participate with this with the Navy and I was given three years to get an engineering degree where I had to maintain a three point in every term or go back to the fleet 
as a machinist mate, which was a pretty good gig, but in hindsight, the officer gig driving submarines and shooting torpedoes was a lot more fun than maintaining the engine room, which is what a machinist mate does back there. A little bit of a better end. view, right, in the front? Yeah, you get to look out the periscope now and again as, a, as an officer of the deck. Machinist mate gets to look in the bilge. <laughs> I, I don't mean to trivialize that. It, it was rewarding and challenging work as a machinist mate, but I did enjoy very much the broader aperture that was opened up as I learned how to employ the ship's weapon systems and go do um, really important stuff for the country. Uh, it may sound a little braggart, but those submariners, the silent service, go and do things that Man, if you could just, if you could just hear, if we could tell the stories. Sure, I know. I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a, a brief plug in. If you want to know what submariners do, uh, that's, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but Blind Man's Bluff is a pretty good book to read if you want to learn about submariners. Hunt for Red October, not so much. No, oh, okay. I was going to say, I, I, my husband loves that movie, so. Um, oh, not, it's a I great won't... story. Yeah, I won't break it to him that that's not what your everyday routines were like when you were in the Navy. I'll, I'll let him believe that for Good now. Call. Yeah. Good um, call. So, so pretty amazing that you were able to go from being enlisted, right, or, or from that 1.8 GPA to deciding, <laughs> okay, I want to, I want to serve my country and in the Navy. And the Navy has some pretty strict enlistment criteria. It's one of the, it's the top tier really with the Air Force. I mean, I'm biased as an Air Force, but, but um, the Navy and the Air Force are really hard to get into enlisted wise as well as officer wise. So pretty, you had some, some nuts and bolts going on in there, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, from, from the time I was really pretty young being an engineer is something that my that's how my brain works um, i'm fortunate in that that i have an aptitude and i could absorb that kind of math and science i just didn't that first time around when i went to texas a and m i just didn't have the maturity and life perspective it makes a big difference when you're in college and that second time when you are in college married have a child and know exactly what's going to happen to your salary when it's done and what's going to happen if you don't finish well. It's very motivating. That, yeah. that perspective between being an enlisted guy and being an officer, and in my current job in the shipyard, I worked in engineering when I hired in. I went to project management. I went back to engineering. And in our yard, that is uh, a similar across the road, literally, but a jump of the fence. And having perspective from multiple directions on the same work has really provided some valuable uh, lessons and objectivity for me, which I think is, I think it's important to understand where other people are. Yeah. If nothing else, understand where the people are, much less the, the work and so forth. Well, and I, I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. And maybe you can talk about your different perspectives, uh, ranging from enlisted to officer to uh, civilian and, and the leadership traits or, or um, you know, high performance traits that you noticed at each level and, and what stood out to you the most for those. Um, I would tell you that uh, in the course of my career, 
I can give you good examples of leaders that I wanted to emulate and good examples of leaders that I wanted nothing to resemble nothing like. And I had both. I have had, uh, I've had skippers on ships who, when we went to sea, became very draconian, very um, demanding is one thing, right? But very, we call them screamers in our vernacular. <laughs> when we were at, in port and they weren't responsible for the ship uh, leaving water we assigned, sinking, doing something bad, you know, they, they relaxed a bit. I had other skippers who, one guy, uh, I'll say his name, Neil P. Walsh. Um, I can't even tell you if he's still alive, but he was, he was a skipper who would, uh, this was back in the day of total quality leadership, TQL, stem from TQM, Deming, that kind of thing. Uh, he would put these little sheets out and ask people to fill them out with, you know, why are we doing well? Because we did very well on that ship. Uh, and look for suggestions. And a very simple thing, if you couldn't talk to your supervisor about it, you could slip it under his stateroom door. And he had, a, there was a mess service guy, um, when very junior sailors on the ship first get there, before they're qualified to do anything technically, they'll often do a turn in, in the mess decks and serve food and clean dishes and that kind of thing. Um, and this uh, food service attendant made a suggestion that we put Oreos in the ice cream machine. We have this soft serve ice cream machine that we always had running. And he wanted to add Oreos to change it from the standard vanilla or chocolate or the twist, you know, the standard sure. Dairy Queen stuff. Yeah. And the, the supply officer wouldn't let him do it. So he stuck the slip under the captain's door. And one time during the meal in the wardroom where the officers eat, the captain says, hey, chop. Supply officers in the Navy are called chops because the little device that is their staff device next to their rank device looks like a pork chop from a distance. So <laughs> chop is what they call them. Makes sense. Um, why can't we do this? And he goes, well, it's messy. Well, who cleans it up? Uh, well, the guy who wrote the suggestion and the captain's like do you not so the captain directed him to do it and very soon the divisions aboard the ship were wrestling for their ice cream day so they could determine the flavor of ice cream that day and make it and they would clean the machine as well so this food service attendant came up with a good idea the crew really liked and ended up getting out of having to clean that ice cream machine most days because the divisions were wrestling over whether it was blueberries or, or Oreos or whatever would go in the machine. And that seems trivial nearly, but when you're at sea, little things like that are truly meaningful. And that's just a trivial example of the other leadership kind of things that we don't have time for all the sea stories I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this this leadership example of allowing people, what it what it distills to, if I put it in my understanding today, and I, I would say putting the decision in the hands of the people nearest the work, when they want to change the work, is very important. It has to be structured from above. The seniors are the ones that see the overall value stream of whatever product you're talking about. But once you've decided to work on a section of that product line, that value stream, then those who are nearest doing that work are your best folks to make the improvements. 
Well, yeah, they're the closest to it. They have to breathe it and live right. it every single day. And, you know, unfortunately, as you get higher into your career and, and you know, rank wise even, then you are further and further away from what everyone is doing unless you physically get out there and see what they're doing and give them that right. responsibility to do it, but also the authority to, to, you know, make it happen. Right. Very important. Uh, in what I do now with process improvement, uh, it the connecting strategic vision to actual improvement is is really important, and it's not done by people with strategic vision going and directing people how to do the improvement. That's that's a huge mistake. I think um, I think you know you're you're hitting on one of the words that we hear often in corporate uh, structures in the military also. Um, and that is vision. And I think that uh, uh, when I worked in the military, we would, you know, we, we already have a direct vision. We know what the, the Air Force vision, the military vision, the DOD vision is. It's pretty out there all the time. You have to memorize it when you're going through your training. And so it's ingrained in your head. Then you go to a corporate structure, corporate America, and you're told, you know, okay, we have to come up with a vision. We have to work on this vision together and what we're going to work towards. And, or you're told what the vision is going to be. And uh, they hope that by asking for input, they're getting some buy-in also for that vision. But I remember sitting in those meetings and saying, you know, gosh, we can come up with all the words we want, but it's not going to make a difference because they're not really going to listen to what, how we're going to implement it. It's going to end up being things that are forced down our throats. And this is, again, in corporate structure. So, um, it's true in government as well. The flavor of the month kind right, of thing. Right. Yep. Seagull management yep. uh, or seagull leadership. We used to. Oh yeah. That. Yeah. Yep. We call that. <laughs> yep. So, um, it's interesting, you know, that you deal with these things across the board. It doesn't really matter what, uh, where you work is it, if it's government or, or private industry, um, these things factor across. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit more about any um, any other habits, like, other than letting you know letting the people that are closest to it do have say. What else did you? Find? Uh, 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 maybe I'll make two points here. There's first of all, um, often people will arrive at some goal position. It may be the highest they can go in the organization or in the current structure they qualify for. It just may be uh, where they have, I don't know, set a goal for themselves to achieve. And when they arrive, I'm using air quotes here, when they arrive, they may believe that they have learned all they need to learn to get to that job. And so the learning will taper off or end which is absolutely, absolutely false. I see that around me in, uh, in the shipyard where there will be people that arrive at, you know, some position as I've described, and they, they don't find the time in the Covey vernacular, they don't find the time to put themselves in quad two and start thinking about things that are important they're good at the urgent stuff. We all get promoted in jobs because we can fight fires, even those of our own setting, <laughs> and get rewarded for it and get promoted because problem solvers are what most businesses value. They want to 
overcome barriers and get the product out the door, whatever that product might be. But there, there is need to be deliberate in setting time for yourself so that you can read, so that you can um, have conversations that don't end up in an action list, <laughs> so that you can uh, explore things that may not be part of what you have learned to get where you are. Uh, a second point that's related to this, is I've seen this also over and over again, someone will get promoted and in that job find authority or power to do the things they wish they could have done in their previous job. And they'll go do those things. And that's the wrong way to react my opinion. What they need to do is go back to the person who now works for them in the job that they had before and give them that authority so that they're not struggling and wishing they could do the things that you now can do. We often end up in a job with skills that we have learned to date and use those skills to execute the job we're in. And you may very well be in a job that those skills no longer apply. There, there is a place from tech, technical aptitude to strategic leadership where the technical aptitude becomes less important. Sometimes uh, in, in the shipyard vernacular, um, one might believe that in order to be the head of the welding shop, must, one must have been a welder. And that's not true. It is tradition that you grow up through the ranks, but it is not true that you must be a welder to lead welders. At some level in most organizations, that technical competency becomes less important. I'll give you a specific example in, in my career. I led an engineering and planning division at the shipyard called Combat Systems. And in Combat Systems, it was uh, torpedo tubes, guns, um, radars, navigation systems, fire control systems, a lot of electromechanical stuff. And I'm a mechanical engineer in my engineering trade, but I had to approve what were called departures from specification so a ship could leave without its full capability. And I had to understand that the reason we were accepting the way it was made technical sense. And my judgment of electronic stuff was largely done evaluating the way they got to the answer, not the answer itself. Because I really didn't have the technical knowledge to know, I guess I had ballpark, right? Are we in the right scale of things? And they, they would have to show me that. And I would have to admit, I don't know what you're talking about. You're gonna have to go down to some basic stuff before I sign this. But you have to be willing, even in a technical field, to ad admit that you don't know what they're talking about and allow yourself to be taught. I think there's too much bravado, maybe, or ego involved when you're a leader and you're, you know, boss over stuff that you got to know the stuff. Uh, you got to know how to measure your people and the way they're getting to solutions more more importantly than knowing the solutions they get to my opinion yeah i, I think that's uh, a super valid point i would say that as a communications officer 
um, you could be working on networks, you could be working on radars, you could be having, you know, be responsible for all these different things. And there's no way in the world that I would have been able to know everything there is to know about a network and everything there is to know about a specific radar system or radio system. And so the big thing for me in my experience was not the technical knowledge. Um, I would be the first one to tell you and to tell the uh, men and women that worked with me that I didn't have it. Um, but it's the knowing the people and knowing who to trust and, and knowing when to put that trust in those people. Um, I think that yeah. that's a, a big one. And I, I think you kind of hit on that too. It's, you've got to have the smart people around you to help you make those decisions and, and talk, be able to talk to you in those really, you know, black and white blunt <laughs> ways sometimes. I think so. I think so. I, th I think, you know, admittedly, if we were, if we were in battle stations on the ship and we were pursuing a target and we were trying to develop a solution so we could shoot a torpedo, um, I, did, I did need to have some pretty exacting and important technical skills. Oh, sure. But in the end, when the fire control technician said, I have a firing solution, I did not have time to say, okay, show me how you got there. I had to understand the processes that allowed that person to get to that solution and be able to have some things that provided backup. I could check, you know, the contents of the solution and then see if those things made sense before I ordered the torpedo shot. So it, there, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, relieve you of your responsibility to understand enough of the picture so that you can make the call because nobody's going to accept well, he said it was okay, so I signed it. Nobody's going to accept that, Absolutely. particularly when you're taking two billion-dollar platforms and diving them beneath the ocean. There, yeah. There's nobody going to accept anything less than technical perfection when that ship goes out because 150 people's lives depend on it, plus all the other stuff that they do. Sure. Yeah, and, and you have to be able to back up your decisions you know, with, with sound sure. logic. And uh, sure. it's the smart men and women that work for you that help you build that too. Absolutely. All right. So what else you got for me, Rob? I know you've got other nuggets of wisdom because you've shared them before. Well, um, the things that are on my mind, you know, this continual learning, I, um, I think it's important. This sounds so, you know, Uncle Rob telling you what to do, but I think if you're not reading, I mean, all the time, uh, and I'm not talking about, uh, and you can read this too if you like, but I'm not talking about uh, Google News or social media. I'm not talking about any of that stuff, although you can decide how much of that you want to put. I'm talking about going out and seeking people's opinions on the topics that are important to you, uh, from leadership to the technical stuff uh, to uh, personal development, things that are important to you in your personal life. I find some books uh, more impactful than others, but there hasn't been a book I've read that I've said, man, that was an entire waste of time. Uh, mostly, I guess mostly because I don't just, you know, I don't go blindly select a book off the shelf. I'm engaged with conversation with my peers. I'm engaged in, uh, I, I do social media and I do professional media with LinkedIn, which is you could argue if that's social media or not, but 
you, you start to find people with like uh, experiences and opinions on things, and it is a bit of a confirmation bias, but you tend to seek, seek after those. Uh, I have found, oh, sunset just happened, so my lights <laughs> came on. <laughs> Maybe um, that was a light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, there have been two authors, and I'll, I'll plug them, but there's two authors that have been extraordinarily impactful in my life. Uh, and it has been since I retired. This is in my civilian, um, my civilian uh, Navy leadership. Uh, by the way, Dilbert made no sense when I was active duty. <laughs> Dilbert has nearly 100% applicability, cannot say the word, in uh, my civilian service. But the two authors, one is uh, David Marquet, uh, okay. spelled M-A-R-Q-U-E-T. He was a skipper of a submarine. Uh, in the Pacific Fleet. And it, the book he wrote was called Turn the Ship Around. And actually, if there's a, I'll share with you or I can tell you about it, but there's a, one of those YouTube videos where somebody draws on a whiteboard while someone's speaking kind of animates the discussion. Sure. If you Google greatness and innoversity, it'll be a brief talk about this book. But the main thrust of it is the skipper could you know, when you want to dive the ship, there's these conditions you meet to dive the ship. And the, the officer deck in the old school routine would say, Captain, I request permission to dive the ship. And then he would wait for the captain to ask him these questions. You know, are we in the right water? All these things. Is the boat closed? Everybody below decks, all that kind of thing. What uh, Marquet decided to do was to start talking about conveying intent. And he didn't issue orders anymore. And he taught his officers that can, he would convey intent via vision so that there was clarity about what ought to be happening. And the officers would convey intent, understanding that vision and the competency technically that needed to be provided. So they would say, Captain, I intend to submerge the ship. The ships in water we are assigned the depth checks below the keel with the chart. All hands are below. The ship is rigged for dive. I'm trying to remember all this stuff. It's been 20 years since <laughs> I did this. And the captain would say very well, and the officer deck would dive the ship. Uh, it's not substantially different in conveying to the captain that the ship is safe and the officer deck has done what they should do. But the conversation of intent works on this uh, principle that he describes as the ladder of leadership. At the very bottom, where someone is not ready to have control, they'll say things like, tell me what to do. I'm not sure how to go. Mm -hmm. Next up, there'll be a conversation that may include words like, I've been thinking. You know, they're hinting at something that they've been developing for themselves, and, and, but still not ready to take control. Then there's, I recommend, they've actually formulated enough that there's a, a construct to their thinking, a, a problem they're trying to solve or an action they're trying to take and why they feel it's appropriate. Then it's uh, request permission to, then I intend to, I have done, I've been doing. And, and in, in my world, uh, living as a department head in the shipyard, that I've been doing is where I work with my shipyard commander. He, the, the boss at the yard is a Navy captain and he's my, I'm his direct report. 
and I don't see him every day. I see him once a month in a conversation about what I've been doing. I see him every day in a variety of meetings and so forth. But I've been doing is where I need to operate so that I can go get the things done that he and I have conveyed an intent on in that monthly, monthly thing. If you can envision a graphic uh, at the lower end of that, that ladder, you've got a supervisor in the graphic and no employee. The next step, the employee's back here, and then the employee gets a little bigger. And then as that happens, the employee's in front and the supervisor's out of the picture because this intent is so cleanly communicated that they're operating independently. There are a few things that uh, Marquet talks about, like shooting weapons, because it involves the possible loss of life and so forth, that he, even with intent, he would issue that order because it was his responsibility to, to do that. So there is a field of, it isn't a goal to divest yourself of all decision-making, but it is a deliberate work to push the decision down to where the information is and to ensure that the vision, the competency and clarity is conveyed so that those people can make the decisions that they need to make in a way that supports your vision for the company or the ship in my case. Yeah, I like that. It's, it seems like it's a little bit more efficient way of doing business also because it's not a lot of back and forth. You don't have to say, well, is this criteria met? Is that criteria? You know, right. these are your criteria. This is what you've got to do. You know, Tell me when so, you're there and, and I'll give yeah, you the go ahead. It, 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 is, it is a lot of that. Uh, but I, I do want to make a point. The back and forth thing in, in Lean or the Toyota production system there's a phrase called Hoshin Kanri, which is a Japanese for policy or strategy deployment. And there's a, there's a, a graphic or a visual, a visual in that called catchball, where if you picture two people playing catch with a baseball, there, there is, here's my intent and the vision. Here's what I'm seeing and plan to do with it. You know, so that conversation with the back and forth to make sure that your intents meet to the same outcome is is absolutely necessary. So I think I think the back and forth uh, you still have to do that, but it becomes easier as that intent has clarity to not get into the details of you know the how the micromanagement, you know, that kind of stuff. It helps you get out of that world and let people operate under their own cognizance. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, what, what was the, you said you had two authors that really Yeah, the, the other one um, is Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Um, he has done a number of books and you can look uh, at videos about him, but he has, Start with why the, this golden circle thing, that's one people largely know about that, that study business management stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm not poo-pooing that, go look at that. But I'm, with our limited time, I wanted to mention a book he wrote called Leaders Eat Last. And if you Google Leaders Eat Last, there's a bunch of, <clears throat> excuse me, videos with him in it. But he talks about the need to feel safe at work. And he talks about, um, the chemistry in your body, dopamine, uh, now I'm on the spot and I'll forget all of these. Um, there's a drug that your body, a chemical your body releases, endorphins, 
uh, which are pain masking. That's why I'm, you know, you're laughing so hard at stop, you're killing me, but it's not really hurting you. That's why we can um, endure. We're not the, you know, as hunters, we're not going to overpower people, but we can endure and overcome them that way. Um, endorphins, dopamine is that thing you get when you check something off a list, but it's addictive, right? So that's a problem. The, I forget what the drug is now that when you serve somebody, I wish I'd written it down because in the moment I'm forgetting it, but it also, serotonin, my wife's right there <laughs> listening to me, uh, serotonin. So when, when you help people um, or see somebody help somebody else, your body releases that and it counters the addictive nature of a dopamine. But he explains all this stuff and it becomes, um, it becomes apparent why when wildebeests are fending off lions and they're standing with their backs to one another and working together, the lion doesn't get very far. But as soon as they separate and don't feel safe into corners of the field, then the lions start picking them off. It's no different with your people at work. If they don't feel safe, to express ideas, to be their authentic selves. That gets all into what, you know, whatever's coming with their personality. Um, if they don't feel safe, literally, from industrial hazards, then you're not going to get everything they could be giving you. And it's not about squeezing juice out of the fruit. It's about teaming and getting this intrinsic contribution that when people feel a sense of purpose, they'll really lean in. Why, I mean, uh, do you play a musical instrument? I used to, I, um, many, yeah. many years ago. So you can probably relate to this. So I play a, an ukulele once in a while, mm -hmm. and I've, I don't do it because mom and dad make me do lessons. I do it because I enjoy engaging that. And learning a musical instrument is not a small thing. It takes some work. And why do people do that? You know, they, they lean in because they're getting, and I make, I mean, I'm not doing it for money. <laughs> I couldn't, truthfully, <laughs> but I'm not doing it with an attempt to learn money or to earn money. I'm doing it because it brings a sense. And people at work want autonomy. They want to be able to make decisions for themselves and they want to be creative, even in a very regulated nuclear power kind of thing that we do. There's still room for creativity to make things better. Uh, and I think reading authors like that, Dan Pink's another one, but reading authors like that will start to expose your mind mm -hmm. to ways of thinking that you might not have considered. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one more example. Okay. I am six foot three, 220 pounds, white guy, 58. Um, I get paid more statistically than people that are shorter than me. I get paid more than people who are a different gender than I. I get paid more than people that, who have different skin color than I do. I have never been followed in a store, never once in my life. I have never considered other than vague, uh, vain fashion sense, I've never considered what I'm wearing when I leave the house. I have never taught my son or my daughter how to be pulled over by a police officer. And I think I understand that I'm not racist. I think that I understand that I'm fair, but I do not have the perspective that 
one of my contemporaries at work, a black man, has. He's as professional as I am. He has nearly the same pedigree in the Navy. He's, he's one of my division managers. He has been followed in a store. He will never wear a hoodie or keep his hands in his pocket in a store. He has taught his children how to be pulled over by police officers only because he's black. And that's the experience that he has as a man with black skin and, and a culture. Now, those things sound, you know, I, I'm grateful I didn't have to do that. And I'm also grateful that I'm able to have conversations with him and gain his perspective on things. Hmm. Is it going to change how I behave? I, you know, it might. Uh, empathy doesn't hurt, but it at least helps me understand as I have a relationship with him, how he's different and why he may think differently than I. That's a dramatic example, you know, a black man and a white man. But even people that are that look alike have same cultural or professional experiences, have different perspectives that if you don't value, you miss out on growth you could have as a team. I've learned a lot of that over the last several years, uh, mostly because, you know, until I retired from the Navy and worked in the shipyard, I never worked with a, worked with a woman in my life. On submarines, it was all men. It was almost all out of 150 people, there might be one or two people that were ethnic with respect to different race background than me. Um, but it was largely a white male organization. And I had to do some shifting, not that I had to change behaviors, but I had to open my aperture. I've overused that word today, but I had to open perspective so that I understood how others experienced their life in the same profession that I was in. No, I think that was that's, a bit soapboxing. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's um, very relevant to kind of what goes on in society. And I think that's a great perspective to talk about. Um, I think that I could probably sit and talk to you about um, the reason that women aren't in submarines and it's 2021 right now for probably an hour or two. And I'm sure we have different perspectives. They are now. <laughs> well, see, that's not good. many. <laughs> not many, but there are women in submarines. It is not closed to them anymore. Well, I think I think it was long overdue that that happened. Um, Agreed. Absolutely. I, I think that's fantastic. I'm glad that, that more things are opening up for more people and, and more people that who have different backgrounds, that have different culture, different beliefs, uh, different sex, you know, whatever it is. I think that uh, we're hopefully becoming right. a more inclusive society. Um, I think we have a long ways to go, but I appreciate you speaking to that because I think that's a big, big part of leadership as well is recognizing that too. Um, one last thing I want to yeah. chat with you about and, and um, want to make sure I mention in one of the emails we passed back and forth um, leading up to this interview, you made a really strong point and I loved what you said when you said that mission can be executed while honoring principles. And you sent me some of the principles that are specific to what you in your organization follow. And I just want to read off a couple of those principles because I feel like um, these, these jumped out at me and there was a whole list of them, but these jumped out at me. Um, the first and similar to what we were just talking about was is respect to every individual. I think that's, that was a key one. Uh, lead with humility. And it sounds like you do that and have done that in your career. Um, seek perfection, which I think is great. It's a slippery slope, but I think that that is a, 
um, a very, uh, very Navy, very military thing to seek perfection. Absolutely. Very um, lean as well, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. I loved that one of the principles was face backs brutally. Uh, I think that we sugarcoat so much that you just kind of have to strip everything down and face those facts sometimes head on. And I, and I really like that. And then my favorite of that, of the list, and like I said, there were so many more, um, was no management system can substitute for hard work. And I think that is true. We can, you can manage people all you want. You can try to lead them and, and manage a system, but the hard work is really what is going to progress a organization or, um, a company or a unit, whatever it is. And I think that that is absolutely the case. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to take a second or two to expand on some of those principles or talk a little bit about that as well. Well, the, the management system, you know, we can sit in meetings and talk about key performance indicators and, you know, the stuff that drives the bottom line. And even though we're not a profit earning organization at the shipyard, we, we spend money that's given to us, the ships that we put out, we measure that productivity. But if you don't go out of your office and go walk the ship and talk to people that are doing the work in very tight spaces, you know, you can imagine a submarine. Now you imagine people down there doing maintenance. Uh, you cannot begin to understand what they're going through and how the work should be adjusted. So that, that hard work of management is the quad two stuff. Quad one stuff is a is a piece of cake the quad two stuff much more difficult um so that's part of it the lead with respect we talked or respect every individual we talked about that a little bit um, that comes in making sure that they have development opportunities that the environment is safe that you are allowing even the new kid that was a barista yesterday and now is training to be a nuclear welder, which is what we do with people. We bring them from after high school jobs and teach them how to be some pretty technically challenging things. They still have good ideas. And that leading with humility, I mean, if, if I believe I have the answers to things, I'm gonna fail very quickly and dramatically. <laughs> yeah. I, I think those things are, are super important. Now, I will say this so folks can go look at this. We didn't create these, sure. these principles. There's two sets that you got. The main set is 10 principles, and they come from the Shingo model. Uh, Shigeo Shingo was a contemporary of Taiichi Ono and the Toyota production system and wrote down the principles that guide lean, which is what uh, MIT uh, Lomac named uh, the Toyota production system when it came to the United States. But those 10 principles are fundamental to what we do in leadership. We have uh, this past uh, summer, no, it was a year ago, man. We had, it came to light in a Facebook post and some articles that came later that this young woman who was an employee in our yard talked about some significant harassment issues that were occurring and appeared as we looked into them. We spent a year and a half investigating. We fired a number of people, uh, including managers, set some new conditions in place. We don't have time to discuss all that stuff, 
but we had a lot of work to do and being able to to apply those principles and in fact execute the mission better than we had been uh, was a good wake up for us you can get what you need to get done and live a principally based life and a leadership life uh, you may think that when the chips are down people got to sacrifice but that's not what it's about people will give their time and effort when you need it and they'll do even more if you're treating them well and compensating them appropriately so i i don't think it is a choice between mission and principles i think it is an and and it is requisite to do both i love that i and i i think that um that speaks volumes not only to your career but your character and and what you're doing now i, I think that's mm -hmm. um awesome I, and you know it talks about you as a person and i'm sure as a husband and a father and a grandfather um so i think that that is that's fantastic and i I've seen it um, briefly in um, some of the interactions with your children and grandchildren that they also have kind of followed in your footsteps of, of that um, mentality of treating people like you want to be treated and treat them fairly and, and you know, guide them. So I, I love that. Uh, I, th there's got to be some disclosure here. Keep in mind, <laughs> while our children were being raised, I was at sea. Yeah, but I think so, I think your relationship with Michelle is is also you know a, a good to be sure. Post. To be sure, but yeah. I have done as much learning in this relationship as yeah. my children were taught in our family relationship. It is the partnership. I don't mean to diminish, um, and it is a partnership between the two of us. But you know, having said that, I think that is what work is about as well as relationships with people, it's not boss and subordinate. There are times when decisions are made and, and you know, you have to move in a direction that uh, may be uncomfortable with respect to the amount of work you have to do, mm -hmm. but it's about relationships. I, there were skippers that I had on the submarine that Neil P. Walsh that I talked about, I'd go anywhere in any situation on any submarine with that guy. And there were other ones that I, I couldn't wait till they were transferred off. That was one of the best things about the Navy. Yeah. You know, your skipper was gone in three years or less. That was the length of the tour. So you just had to wait him out. Right. Or you got to transfer. Right. So. And it was a blessing and a curse sometimes because then the Neil yeah. Walsh's are, you know, are gone too soon from, from working with. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any parting thoughts before I let you head off and enjoy the rest of your evening um what one thing that i didn't mention in all this balance i think you have to balance your personal your spiritual uh your relationships at work your relationships at home your physical health uh, if you do too much of any one of those the other things get out of whack and your life becomes less pleasant um, i've had i've had times that time i was in college for those three years uh, we had to be very deliberate with some help from counselors and other things to understand each other's perspective. And uh, I had a very high GPA and I had a pretty good GPA when I left because we needed date night. I mean, balance, 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 balance. I love it. Yeah, I think that you, you probably can't say that enough. I think that goes across the board for any career field for anybody, you know, personal life, home life work life there's always right. a balance somewhere 
I'm still searching for it myself. So <laughs> uh, we, we all are. And it's a moving thing, right? There are times when you got to work a little more than times when you can play a little more, but you have to be aware and that the work and keeping that balance is where your health awesome. is found. All good things. Wonderful. And you know, I, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I know my husband will be listening to this podcast, not because <laughs> I make him, but he um, would be very upset if I didn't ask you anything about aircraft carriers. Now I know you're a submarine warfare officer and you don't have to disclose any information because I told him that you probably can't, but he's a huge aircraft carrier buff and uh, would love to hear about those. So someday, We'll have to get you guys talking about those things together. I, I can tell you some things. I can tell you this for sure. Two torpedoes. Ooh, all right. That's, that's, all what, it, that's what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> Two <Perfect>. torpedoes. <laughs> all right. Rob, if people want to get in touch with you or pick your brain or ask you questions about some of these books and principles that we've talked about, is there a way that they can best get in touch with you? Sure. Um, if uh, I'll give you my, let's see, what's the best thing? You can find me on LinkedIn, Rob, Rob Gorman. Okay. Um, and you'll have my face from this. Um, I, I guess I don't, I don't mind giving you my email. Uh, my email is pretty easy. It's rob.gorman, Gorman spelled G-O-R-M-A-N at wavecable.com. Wave Perfect. like in the ocean, cable like cable. <laughs> Rob Gorman, rob.gorman at wavecable.com. I'd be happy to correspond with anybody that would have other questions. Awesome. Fantastic. And we'll put all that information in the show notes so people will be able to reach out to you um, and, and chat with you some more. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us for a little while. We appreciate your time. Um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again soon. I, I've got a gazillion more questions for you, so we may have to do this again. I got a lot more sea stories. I would look forward to, to another conversation. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right, April. Thanks for joining us on the Idaho Physio. We hope you gained some insights, inspiration, and some ideas on how to be amongst the top performers and high achievers in the world. Know someone that's crushing it that we should talk to? Let us know. As always, we welcome your feedback. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share our podcast with friends, family, heck, even complete strangers. Because, hey, who couldn't use a little inspiration these days? Thanks again. Now get out there and be amazing.